Welcome to Tony's Civil War Museum, the podcast. Today is the 160th anniversary of the Battle of Antietam, uh, September 16th and 17th of 1862. And today is September 17th of 2022. So, uh, to commemorate this 160th anniversary of the Battle of Antietam, I'm going to be reading two uh, primary accounts uh, from soldiers uh, uh, during the American Civil War. Now, I'm going to read one from the uh, Confederate uh, point of view and one from the Union point of view. This is just some interesting uh, personal accounts, personal stories from individuals who were there at the Battle of Antietam, which was known in the Union Army, also known as the Battle of Sharpsburg. Now, if you haven't watched our video yet on one battle, two names, I suggest you go over there and do that because I explain why Antietam, uh, why the Battle of Antietam was called Antietam in the Union Army and why it was called Sharpsburg in the Confederate Army. I explained that in a short, like, one minute and 40 second video. But right now, I'm going to go ahead and read the story. Now, if you're wondering where the story's coming from, this is from a huge collection of primary accounts called A Civil War Treasury of Tales, Legends, and Folklore by B.A. Botkin. B.A. Botkin uh, compiled all these personal accounts into a huge book that's over 600 pages long. It, it's, it's pretty pretty big but uh that's a good thing about this because i can look up a battle in the index and find uh some personal accounts this first story is from helen dorch longstreet now uh as we know who general longstreet is i am assuming that this is a of course a relative if not his wife it's called unpatriotic feet as the Civil War dragged on, the Confederate Army became skilled in making swift marches and long, hard fights on empty stomachs. But sometimes most valorous would drop out of the ranks from sheer hunger and exhaustion. General Lee's invasion of Maryland was especially notable for the number of worn soldiers who fell by the wayside when nature could endure no more. Some of the stragglers were returned to the regiments by the strong arm of military law, others voluntarily returned. The latter class was a tall, gaunt farmer from the mountains north of Georgia. When asked by his commanding officer to explain his absence from the Battle of Antietam, which was, of course, September 17, 1862, the soldier said, I had no shoes. I tried it barefoot, but somehow my feet wouldn't callous. They just kept bleeding. I found it so hard to keep up that though I had the heart of a patriot, I began to feel I didn't have patriotic feet. Of course, I could have crawled on my hands and knees, but then my hands would have got so sore I couldn't have fired my rifle. That is a story written by Helen Dorch Longstreet about a Confederate uh, soldier who was absent from the Battle of Antietam. I always wanted to play the Battle of Gettysburg in one evening, or how about Shiloh in just an afternoon? You could do this and more with the greatest American Civil War war game rule set, Blood in the Valley. Bun the Valley is a set of American Civil War war game rules for 10 to 15 millimeter scale. It is D6 and D20 based. The rules are easy to follow, easy to learn, and they're just as good for beginners as they are for seasoned war gamers. If you already have miniatures and dice for games such as Fire and Fury, Johnny Red, you'll need nothing more to play this absolutely fantastic war game, Blood in the Valley. Now back to our episode. Our final story is called McClellan's Bodyguard. This is an account by Honorable O.M. Hatch, who was a former secretary of the state of Illinois and an old friend of Mr. Lincoln's. 
relates that a short time before McClellan's removal from command, November 5th of 1862, he went with President Lincoln to visit the army still near Antietam. They reached Antietam late in the afternoon of a very hot day and were assigned a special tent for their occupancy during the night. Early next morning, says Mr. Hatch, I was awakened by Mr. Lincoln. It was very early. Daylight was just lighting the east. The soldiers were all asleep in their tents. Scarce a sound could be heard except the notes of early birds and the farmyard voices from a distant farms. Lincoln said to me, Come, Hatch, I want you to take a walk with me. His tone was serious and impressive. I arose without a word, and as soon as we were dressed, we left the tent together. He led me about the camp, and then we walked upon the surrounding hills overlooking the great city of white tents and sleeping soldiers. Very little was spoken between us beyond a few words as to the pleasantness of the morning or similar casual observations. Lincoln seemed to be serious, and his quiet, abstract way affected me also. It did not seem a time to speak. We walked slowly and quietly, meeting here and there guard, our thoughts leading us to reflect on that wonderful situation. A nation in peril, the whole world looking at America, a million men in arms, the whole machinery of war engaged throughout the country, while I stood by that kind-hearted, simple-minded man who might be regarded as the Director General. Looking at that beautiful sunrise and the magnificent scene before us, nothing was to be said. Nothing needed to be said. Finally, reaching a commanding point where almost the entire camp could be seen, the men were just beginning their morning duties and evidences of life and activity were becoming apparent. We involuntarily stopped. The president, waving his hand towards the scene before us and leaning towards me, said in an almost whispering voice, Hatch, Hatch, what is all this? Why, Mr. Lincoln, said I. This is the Army of the Potomac. He hesitated for a moment, and then straightened up, and in a louder tone said, No, Hatch, no. This is General McClellan's bodyguard. Nothing more was said. We walked to our tent, and the subject was not alluded to again. Isn't that always just like General George B. McClellan, how he always thought the Confederates always had the upper hand, how uh, he always thought that the Confederates had three times the number of men that he did? One Union soldier exclaimed that if General McClellan's Army of the Potomac had one million men, he said that General McClellan would claim that the Confederates had two or even three million. And that right there shows that Lincoln knew that it was time to get a new commander. Now, you have to remember, not all the Union's choices were wise. They were trying uh, a commander after commander. As we know, first was Jerome McDowell. Then came McClellan with the Peninsula Campaign. Then after McClellan failed earlier in 1862, Lincoln put Pope in. John Pope failed at the spout of Second Manassas. He put McClellan back in. Finally, Lincoln had enough and put Ambrose Burnside in. And Ambrose Burnside... His biggest test was just awaiting a couple months down the road at the Battle of Fredericksburg. And we will be covering the Battle of Fredericksburg in some personal accounts. And I hope to see you then here on Tony's Civil War Museum, the podcast.